Welcome to St. Mungo's Podcast for the Magically Deprived, where you can get your weekly Potter fix. We will be discussing the Harry Potter series chapter by chapter. If you've read the books previously or are just starting the series for the first time, we hope you enjoy this journey through Harry's adventures at Hogwarts and beyond. Please be aware that this is not a spoiler-free podcast. We may at times reference future events, people, or places. Also, there will be adult language and content. So if you have little ones listening, you may want to send them out of the room or listen at another time. Hello, everyone. I'm Joe. I'm Megan. I'm Serena. This week, we'll be discussing Chapter 18 of The Prisoner of Azkaban, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. But before we get into the chapter, let's head over to Serena in the Slytherin Common Room for some Quibbler controversy. So today, in this chapter, we hear Lupin tell us his story about how he became a werewolf when he was young and he used to change into a werewolf every month when he was at school. I just wanted to discuss the idea that lycanthropy in this book is a metaphor for HIV and AIDS, which was actually confirmed by J.K. Rowling. I mean, obviously she said it's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. Except for Cursed Child, that doesn't count. (laughs) But yeah, absolutely. Because you could see where Lupin doesn't want people to know. He keeps it hidden. At school, he didn't want his friends to know because he thought that they would just disown him if they found out. So yeah, absolutely, you can see the link between the two. I also read an extensive article on this and how it was very poorly done. And it wasn't, like they said, it was very like unclear and it seemed like it was just kind of a thought. It wasn't really played out. connection made after the fact. It wasn't an intentional write-in. Yeah, in the book, it's not made clear that's what it is. But I mean, the connection is there. Like, you can see it. But I mean, you can connect that to uh, really any sort of hidden disease or any, like, could be connected to transphobia or homophobia, anything, right? Yes. We know that wasn't an intentional write-in. And I think that's where she gets some of her bad flack is from just, like, grasping at straws at things that she's written to try and make it seem more intellectual than it was. Like, it's a story. It's a magical story. And that's all it has to be to be great. It doesn't need to have all of these other literary things in it. You know what I mean? I know the Dementors were purposely written that way because she, Mm -hmm. she was suffering depression. So she added that in there, but I do think a lot of it was afterthought because she was getting flack for not being as inclusive as she could have been in the story. But Serena, I'm interested in what is it that you said you wrote an article? No, I didn't write it. I read an I read an extensive article. Oh, I thought you said you wrote it. I'm like, I I want to hear it. No, no, no. (laughs) I did not write it. I read a quote of what she had said, and there was an article kind of examining like a little bit deeper into it, which I agree. I mean, I kind of viewed it as more of a metaphor for just any type of prejudice. Yeah. Like not specifically, like she she mentioned it specifically as like a blood condition, whereas I could kind of see it. Um, comparing to racism, transphobia, homophobia, like any type of prejudice, right? I don't see it as much as racism because racism is more of a very visual thing. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because I was going to say racism too, and then I was like, wait a minute, no, it doesn't connect. Yeah, because racism is more... You're not surprised by someone's race all of a sudden. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's why I don't think it's really racism, but any any sort of illness that there was the misconception of it being contagious when it's not like anything like that you can kind of link it to 
Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have the quote? You said I she do, had yeah, quote? Yeah. This was a part of the book that I had just mentioned, which is called, I think it was in the first one. So it's called Short Stories from Hogwarts of Heroism, Hardship, and Dangerous Hobbies. It's presented by Pottermore. So she kind of goes over certain things and then it'll have a section for her thoughts. So she said, all kinds of superstitions seem to surround bloodborne conditions, probably due to taboos surrounding blood itself. The wizarding community is as prone to hysteria and prejudice as the muggle one, and the character of Lupin gave me a chance to examine those attitudes. Does she actually mention HIV? Yeah, no, she says that it is, yeah, yeah. That was just no, kind no. of um, like what she had to say about it. Right, right, right. But, but yeah. she does mention that it's here. Hang on, I can find the quote. Yeah, she says, Lupin's condition of lycanthropy was a metaphor for those illnesses that carry a stigma like HIV and AIDS. And oh, also she did confirm that his Patronus is a regular wolf. She said everything wolfish disgusts him and he often he often produces a non-corporeal Patronus deliberately, especially when others are watching. And that's why we don't see his actual Patronus in the books or the movies. Ah, okay. Because I did wonder that like in the class. No, not in the classroom. Yeah, well, like when he's teaching Harry and stuff too. And in the, the train, on the train. Yeah, that's the part. Yeah, that's exactly the part on the train. I always wondered why we didn't see it. I thought maybe she just hadn't figured it out yet, but that makes sense that he would purposely... I didn't know you had the choice to purposely do a non-corporeal Patronus. I guess when you're skilled enough, you can kind of... Because we talked about that at another point where, remember they kept saying silvery stuff? And I was like, why? A Patronus is like a definitive form, but I guess that's why, if you can control it. All right. Back to you, Joe, in the Gryffindor common room for our chapter. So we left off with Remus and Sirius telling the trio that Scabbers is an animagus named Peter Pettigrew. But they all believed Peter Pettigrew to have been killed 12 years ago, supposedly by Sirius himself. Sirius says that he had meant to kill him, but Peter got the better of him. So as they're talking, Sirius like dives to grab Scabbers and Lupin is the one who pulls him back and says that they have got to explain what happened first. This has, after all, been Ron's pet and Harry deserves to know the truth. There are parts of it that Lupin himself doesn't even understand. Harry reminds Lupin that an entire street saw Peter Pettigrew die, but according to Sirius, they didn't see what they thought they saw. And Lupin admits that he also thought Peter was dead until he saw him on the map. And the map never lies. Peter is alive and well in Ron's hands. Hermione speaks up and tries to talk sense into Lupin. And she says that it just can't be true. And I love this part so much that even though they're not in the classroom, Lupin still tries to use this as a teaching opportunity. And he wants Hermione to use like her critical thinking because he says to her, why can't it be true? And he doesn't like just argue with her or insist that he's right. He's like, explain to me in your thought process why this can't be true. And that shows that he genuinely wants them to understand what's going on. It's not that he just wants to be right. He wants them to actually get it. So Hermione reasons that people would know if Peter was an animagus because animagi are regulated by the ministry and they have to be registered showing what animal they become and all of their markings. And she says that she looked up Professor McGonagall on the register and there have only been seven animagi 
this century and Peter was not on the list. First of all, I was floored that there's only been seven in a century. Seven, right? Well, when you look there, at the process. I don't think I would go through that entire process. So uh, Lupin praises Hermione because, of course, she's correct. But the ministry didn't know that there were three unregistered animagi, animagi <laughs> running oh, around. So I have a question. Lupin yes. would have been registered with the ministry, right? Lupin is not an animagus. He's a werewolf. Oh. oh. Yes. Okay. He's a werewolf because he was bitten. Does the ministry keep records of the werewolves, though? I, I believe they, they do. Um, Sirius tries to rush the conversation along because he doesn't want to wait another second to get his hands on Peter. And the conversation actually gets cut off because they hear like a loud crack and the door opens by itself and there's nobody there. I love when Ron goes, this place is haunted. <laughs> but Lupin says, it's not haunted. The screams and the howling that the villagers used to hear were actually made by him. So the story goes as follows. Lupin was bitten when he was very young and nobody obviously wanted their kids to go to school with a werewolf. But when Dumbledore became headmaster, he was sympathetic and he agreed that Lupin could go to Hogwarts as long as they took precautions. So the Whomping Willow was planted when Lupin started school, as was the building of the Shrieking Shack and the tunnel leading to the shack from the grounds. Uh, once a month, Lupin was smuggled out of the school and into the Shrieking Shack to transform. The Whomping Willow was placed at the tunnel entrance to stop anyone else from getting in. When Lupin transformed, he only had himself to scratch and bite. And then when the villagers heard the screams, they thought that they were hearing violent spirits. So Dumbledore just encouraged the rumor. What I thought was interesting was how much authority the headmaster of Hogwarts has because he not only planted the Whomping Willow, they dug a tunnel from the Whomping Willow into Hogsmeade and actually had a house built in Hogsmeade for this purpose. I mean, I think it's just Dumbledore. I don't think it's headmaster per se. But even so, like he has the authority to say, you know what, um, we're building a house here in this village. Does that mean that the... <laughs> Deal with it. You know what I mean? And does that mean that the Shrieking Shack is property of Hogwarts or is it property of Hogsmeade? Seeing as he's the one that had it built, I assume he has ownership or is it just property of Dumbledore? Does it matter? I'm just curious. Can Dumbledore own property in Hogsmeade? He can, but that's what I'm saying. Like, does is that his property? Is it school property? Like no one, not one person owns Hogsmeade. They would... There'd be different people that own the different shops and stuff, right? So, so I, I'm just wondering, is it property of the city? Who does the Shrieking Shack belong to? I honestly never realized up until this point that Dumbledore had the Shrieking Shack built for Lupin. How much do you love a student? I'm trying to find the quote where he says that it was like built specifically for it, him. It says the house, the tunnel that leads to it. They were built for my use. Once a month, I was smuggled out of the castle into this place to transform. But I mean, I just thought it was really interesting and curiosity of ownership. Yeah, I feel like either school property or just Dumbledore's property. Yeah. 
So apart from his painful transformations, Lupin was happier than he had ever been because for the first time in his life, he had three great friends, Sirius, Peter, and Harry's own father, James. His three friends couldn't fail to notice that he had disappeared every month. And despite the excuses that Lupin made, they figured out his secret. And instead of abandoning him, they all became animagi so they could keep him company when he transformed. It took them the better part of three years to do it, but finally they figured it out in their fifth year and they would sneak out under James's invisibility cloak every month. Peter, being so small as a rat, could touch the knot at the base of the tree to allow them all to go in. Then the three of them would go through the tunnel to the shack to join Lupin. While in the company of his friends, Lupin became less dangerous, and since James and Sirius changed into such large animals, they could keep him in check. And soon they began leaving the Shrieking Shack and exploring the grounds and Hogsmeade Village. And they found out so much about the grounds and Hogsmeade that they wrote the Marauder's Map and signed it with their nicknames. Lupin as Mooney, Sirius as Padfoot, Peter as Wormtail, and James as Prongs. And when Harry starts to ask what animal his father turned into, Hermione cuts him off and tells Lupin how dangerous running around as a werewolf was and that he could have easily run into someone and bitten them. She is completely right because we know just in Harry's time how often students sneak out and are out on the grounds. And this is also the reason that Lupin never told Dumbledore this entire year that Sirius is an animagus because then he would be compelled to tell him this entire story. And he was really ashamed that after all this trouble, I mean, Dumbledore had a house built for him and that he betrayed his trust he was really ashamed of that and that's why he never told Dumbledore any of this and he says that in a way Snape has been right about him all along because he may not have actually been helping Sirius into the castle but he also never told anyone that that's how Sirius was probably getting into the school disguised as an animagus so at the mention of Snape's name Sirius is a bit taken aback and wonders what Snape has to do with anything. And Lupin tells him that Snape is actually teaching at Hogwarts and has been working very hard against Lupin's teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts and telling Dumbledore that Lupin is not to be trusted. Lupin says that Snape has his reasons for not trusting him because when they were in school together, Sirius played a trick on Snape that could have gotten him killed. Sirius thinks that it serves Snape right because he was always sneaking around trying to figure out what they were up to and wanted to get them expelled. One day, Snape saw Lupin heading towards the Whomping Willow with Madame Pomfrey so he could go to the Shrieking Shack to transform. And Sirius thought it would be funny to tell Snape to just prod the tree trunk and he could go in after Lupin. And that's another thing I think is strange. Why would Snape trust Sirius? They've like hated each other for five years. Why would Sirius throw his best friend under the bus for Snape? Right. And Snape believes that. I guess they, Snape never told Dumbledore about this. Yes. Who came to save him and tell him not to? James did. 
if Snape would have made it to the Shrieking Shack, he would have met a full-fledged werewolf and James heard what Sirius did and went after Snape to pull him back. But Snape had already glimpsed Lupin at the end of the tunnel and was forbidden by Dumbledore to tell anybody what he saw. So how does Dumbledore think that they all know how to get through the tree and into the Shrieking Shack? Well, he thinks they just figured out how to get past the Whomping Willow. Willow. But he could also think that Lupin confided in his friends about what he does every month. Just like he assumes that Harry's going to confide in his friends. Mm -hmm. He probably assumed the same of Lupin, knowing that those were his three closest friends. But he still doesn't know that they're Animagi. Because, I mean, I would assume that, like, as Dumbledore, I would assume Lupin would tell them, I'm a werewolf, I just have to go, you know, turn into a werewolf every month, just don't worry about it. Not, yeah, yeah I go, I press the knot on the Whomping Willow and go through a tunnel to the Shrieking Shack, and that's where I change. Like, that's a little specific, I feel like. Well, I don't think that even if he did tell them, he would have, like, specifically said it. He'd just say there's a knot on the tree that you press, and it's because they're probably wondering, how the hell do you get past the willow? And he's like, well, there's not on the tree. If you push it, it freezes, right? I would ask it. I love right? questions. Like if, <laughs> like if, right, if someone came to me and was like, yeah, so I actually go into the Whomping Willow every month. And I would be like, wait a minute. How the hell do you get past those branches? Right? Three troublemakers that know how to get in there. I'd probably be like, hmm, this is suspicious. And also, I was thinking when I was reading this, like up until like right to this point, Dumbledore has no idea that this was going on, which I find really suspicious. Yeah, because also Dumbledore everything. knows everything that goes on in this school and on the grounds. And the fact that he doesn't know is a little suspect to me. Yeah, that's was also the thing. I just thought, thought that was weird. He was just waiting for them to tell him. You know what? And I feel like he does that sometimes because he we see him do that with Harry where he knows what's going on and he'll say, anything to tell me Harry and Harry will be like "Mm, no I'm good and then he's just giving them the opportunity to come forward and do it on their own without having to be prodded by him so that could be what he's doing here which would mean he knew how serious would getting into the castle and just Mm -hmm. whatever wouldn't surprise me either yeah he's he's very good at just letting things play out and see how it how it goes we'll see what happens So from then on, Snape knew exactly what Lupin was, and that's why Snape doesn't like him, because he thought that Lupin was actually in on the trick. And right at that moment, they hear Snape's voice as he pulls off Harry's invisibility cloak and enters the Shrieking Shack with his wand pointed directly at Lupin. And that is the end of chapter But I do want to go through and discuss the process of becoming an animagus because it's crazy. And I guess this would explain why there's only seven in a century because it's absolutely nuts. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything you want to add while we're going through, Mm -hmm. jump in. So step one is to do your homework, especially in Transfiguration and potions because becoming an animagus requires a witch or wizard to be skilled at both of these achieving such a complex transformation you need to be skilled at both step two you need to carry a single mandrake leaf in your mouth for an entire month from full moon to full moon and if you swallow the leaf or remove it from your mouth at any point you have to start the whole process all over again. <laughs> Chew something with yeah, a leaf you in your mouth. 
Exactly. How do you eat? I guess maybe they're resistant to moisture. They don't get soggy because you'd think that the entire thing would just disintegrate and you'd end up swallowing it. So an entire month, okay? Then you have to find a small crystal file that receives the pure rays of the moon, put your saliva-filled leaf inside of the file, and then add one of your hairs. Step three, add a silver teaspoon of dew from a place that neither sunlight or human feet have touched for a full seven days. And if that wasn't hard enough, you then have to add the chrysalis of a death's head hawk moth to the crystal file, then put the mixture in a quiet, dark place and leave it alone until the next electrical storm (laughs) and really leave it alone. You can't even look at it and don't even think about it. Step four, while waiting for the transformation to begin, you must place your wand tip over your heart every sunrise and sundown and speak the following incantation. Amato animo animato animagus. If you keep repeating your incantation, there will come a time when a second heartbeat may be sensed. Then step five, as soon as the lightning appears in the sky, you go to the place where you've hidden your crystal file. And if you've done everything right, you will discover a mouthful of blood red potion inside the file. Then you move somewhere you're not going to alarm anyone or place yourself in physical danger during the transformation. Step six is you place your wand tip against your heart and speak the incantation, Amato Animo Animato Animagus, and then you drink the potion. You will then feel a fiery pain and an intense double heartbeat. Step seven the shape of your creature into which you will shortly transform will appear in your mind. The instructions then warn, you must not show fear. It is too late now to escape the change you have willed. The last step is when your transformation is complete, you are strongly advised to pick up your wand and hide it somewhere safe so you can find it post-transformation. To return to human form, visualize your human self as clearly as you can. Don't worry if you don't change back immediately. With practice, you will be able to slip in and out of your animal form at will simply by visualizing the creature. Once you're an advanced animagus, you should be able to transform without your want. So those are steps to become an animagus. Then there's things that you need to be weary of. When the process of becoming an animagus goes wrong, it often goes seriously wrong. We're talking horrible half-human, half-animal mutations with no cure. Oh, good. Yes. Uh, The first transformation is usually uncomfortable and frightening. I thought this was really interesting. This, Serena, is probably the, the point you were talking about. Clothing and items such as glasses or jewelry meld into the skin and become one with the fur scales or spikes, which is why they have like, you know, when McGonagall transforms, she has the shape of the glasses and so does uh, Rita Skeeter, I think. So any anything that they're wearing just kind of becomes part of their like exterior. When you first transform, try to avoid panicking. Otherwise, the animal mind may gain the ascendancy and you could do something stupid or dangerous. Uh, Generally, wizards prefer to have their clothes transfigure with them to escape the embarrassment of reappearing naked. 
Don't forget to log your personal details and Animagus appearances on the Animagus registry. Failure to do this might land you in Azkaban. So that is all I have. Serena, did you have any other points or were these the same ones that you have? Those were the same ones. And then also just that um, the animal that you change into if you're an Animagus typically is also your Patronus. And there's no known instance of the Animagus form changing to match the Patronus if the Patronus happens to change. If your Patronus changes later on, because it can change, possibly, um, there's no known instances of your Animagus form also changing. Right, right. So you would still keep the same form. But it's very uncommon for an Animagus who can also produce a Patronus. So there aren't sufficient studies it's uncommon yeah it says the animagus who can also produce a patronus is highly unusual and no study has ever been done on sufficient numbers to draw from conclusions really so that's from just another unusual thing about harry potter well, harry potter's not an animagus oh what am I it's unusual about sirius would be the only one but james sirius produce a patronus we don't know we don't know actually i guess do we know anybody who produces a Patronus who is an Animagus? Because the only Animagus we know about are, we know about McGonagall, we know about Peter, we know about Sirius, James. Rita. James Rita could Skeeter. produce a Patronus though, could he not? James, that's who I'm thinking of, that's why are, I said Harry. Do we ever actually see him produce a Patronus? No. A stag shows up in one of the movies. Oh, hold on a second. That's Harry. That's Harry. Harry thinks it's his father, but it's actually mm-hmm. him. Did he... And I guess Sirius, oh. if Sirius could produce one, I guess he would have done it to save his life at the end of this oh, book. So. True. Unless he was yeah, already. That's true. Gone. We we don't actually hear about James producing a Patronus. I'm getting confused. I'm combining James and Harry together is mm-hmm. the problem. But if their Patronus is what their Animagus form is, would they not be able to produce a Patronus? No. It's just a general general fact. Because they're two separate spells. Just because you can do one doesn't mean you can do the other. And that's what I but think she's saying. how would they know what their Patronus is to turn into an Animagus then? They don't. You or don't have they to don't? know. Yeah, you don't no. have to know. Like just in general, most, like an Animagus that can produce Patronus, they are the same. Oh. Just okay. generally, yeah, yeah. That's interesting because I didn't realize that it's rare to have both. Yeah. I feel like the movies make us feel like everyone can produce a Patronus, but not that many people can do it, right? Yeah, because like we were saying, Lupin can do a Patronus, but he's Mm -hmm. not actually an Animagus. He's Mm -hmm. a werewolf. Yeah. And Dumbledore, I don't think Dumbledore's an Animagus. I could see him. Would he He'd be a phoenix, I would think. Oh, yeah. Because his Patronus is a phoenix. phoenix. He owns a phoenix. Everything about him is a phoenix. True. And um, McGonagall, we never see her uh, produce a Patronus. No. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm glad you told me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never realized that. Well, there are no firm conclusions, but... Oh, but still, yeah, it's something to look into. I like it. I like mm-hmm. it. Do we have anything else about this chapter or Animagi? Animagi? What did you say earlier? I liked it. I don't know. I've been I'm saying just... it so many different ways because... I usually like saying animagi, but I don't know what the proper way to say it is. I've heard it said both ways. You How do you guys it in say like it? French earlier. 
And Amashi. When you, when you, yeah, that, I think that's what you said. When you listen to it back, you'll hear it. Like Animaji or something. Animaji. Oh, yeah, that's probably what I said. How do you say it? I mean, I say Animagus. I just don't know how to say it in plural. I always get confused. Yeah, it's Animagi. Yeah, I have to sort of roll off the tongue for me. I don't know. Yeah, I have to think of like the three wise men when I'm saying it plural because they're they're magi, are they not? Or is that me just making things up? <laughs> I always thought they were called magi. You might be right. I don't know. In my head, that's what they are, and that's what I have to think of when I say animagi because it's animal and magi. So I just kind of put it together. Okay. Do we have anything else about this? All right, Megan, let's head over to you in the Hufflepuff common room for Would You Rather. For today's Would You Rather question, I made up my own Canadian version of Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. So your friend is a werewolf and you need to protect him. Are you turning into Wormtail is a possum, Padfoot is a wolf, and Prongs is a moose? So are you turning into a possum, a wolf, or a moose? Oh, a wolf, hands down. <laughs> no other reason except they're amazing. <laughs> See, I want to turn into a wolf, but I feel like a moose is better for keeping a werewolf in check. Right? You're like, definitely you going with a moose. From biting them with my... Yeah, that you are correct. I didn't even think about like keeping them in check. <laughs> like in this yeah, particular like the... circumstance. You're right, which is what we usually do. We do it situational, but I'm just like, wolf. Meg, you said moose too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be extremely helpful. Have you ever seen a moose? They're fucking huge. 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 So much bigger than you think they're supposed to be. I mean, there are different size wolves, but... Not that big. (laughs) Either way, I like the wolf, sorry. I mean, even Sirius is a dog and he's quite large. Yeah. Yeah. And I just picture my wolf form would be like the color of my hair, like salt and pepper. Mm -hmm. So I think that would look pretty cool on a wolf. I don't think any (laughs) chances. This is the one time I'm not doing situation. I'm going for coolness. All right, Megan, we'll head over to you for our homework, please. Our homework for next week is to read chapter 19, The Servant of Lord Voldemort. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, leaving us a rating and review would be awesome. And maybe mention us to all of your Potter friends. That brings us to the end of this episode. Join us next week as we continue reading through the Harry Potter series. You can send any questions, comments, or concerns to Podcast at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast.